This episode of the Stock Market Movers podcast is brought to you by Calamero St. Heliers. Calamero is one of Auckland's best rated pizza shops and you can order online now at calamero.co.nz. That is C-A-L-I-M-E-R-O.co.nz. Or pop in and see us. It is Saturday the 22nd of February 2020. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 73 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice and if you're looking for financial advice I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. So after a couple of interviews over the last couple of weeks we're moving into a more traditional Stock Market Movers show which you may like more or like less, I'm not sure, it depends what you, what type of material you like. So it was quite a big week on the NZX with quite a few big name companies reporting their half year earnings. We can start with Spark, we all know Spark, it trades on the NZX under the ticker code SPK. Revenue growth of 4% to $1.8 billion. Um, the sort of numbers you would expect for a mature company. You would not expect them to be shooting the lights out in terms of revenue growth unless they stumbled across some sort of new industry or sector that was growing significantly. I was interested in finding out... F- from the Spark report, if there was any information or colour on Spark Sport and the Rugby World Cup. As you know, it was such a high publicity thing and it was obviously costing them a bit of money. It was Something was happening there, but I didn't really find too much information. They said that Spark Sport drove some revenue growth and they, they got some broadband growth during the World Cup, but they didn't really break it down too much. In fact, I, I couldn't find any mention of it in their interim financial statements. Um, I, I found the... Financial statements interesting. Um, they reported earnings of 167 million compared to 153 million for the comparable year, which is great. But the, the company took on a bit more debt. I'll say something mildly controversial here. I feel that Spark pays too high of a dividend relative relative to the investments in in capex. Um, <laughs> that's just my opinion, guys. I know a lot of people hold it purely for its dividend, um, but this can be seen in its cash flow statement. You just take some of the numbers from 2015. So. For instance, 2015, um, not including the most recent report, by the way, um, but it's the same same premise. The company generated $3.6 billion um, in cash flow from operations. Um, they spent $2.2 billion on CapEx and investments and $2.1 billion on dividends. So CapEx and, and investments combined to be $4.3 billion, which is $700 million more than the cash flow from operations. So where does the money come from for dividends if it's not cash flow? And if... If your company's paying the dividend and not from cash flow, then the money's got to come from the balance sheet. So in this instance, Spark has taken on $555 million in, in debt during this time and drawn down on cash reserves to the tune of $155 million. There's nothing wrong with this, but it's obviously something that can't continue forever. So one of a few things have to happen. Um, there's a few potential outcomes. Either the investments that Spark are making will produce more cash in the future and will eventually eclipse the spending on CapEx. And in fairness, cash flow has grown since 2015. Um, the second option is that the company will have to reduce its investment spending. Um, they don't appear to be doing this. I mean, they just, for example, the Rugby World Cup um, costs a lot of money. Um, or they'll have to cut their dividend. Um, even though there's not been any real growth in the dividend in recent times, I, I, feeling that the, I feel that the chances of a dividend cut with Spark is pretty low. There'll be a, a sharehold, shareholder mutiny before that happens. Um, you know, Spark is a, a quintessential dividend company. So investors are... The, the reason for people buying it is is the expectation of a dividend. So that I, I, I doubt very much that they're going to cut it. Um, so either they'll have to re- re- reduce their investment spending or they'll have to grow their cash flow. And obviously what they're trying to do is grow their cash flow. So it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Um, they could also sell some stock. Um, you know, 
issue some shares to to rather than taking on debt. Um, they haven't done that really in the past, so you'd have to think that's unlikely. Um, it's an interesting one though. Spark is a pretty durable company with with deep pockets, so they can probably keep it going for a while yet. Um, and certainly people are going to be handling the money, so it, you know there's no reason why the current situation will change anytime soon. Um, but the the balance between cash flow, capex, debt, and dividends will have to happen at some stage. You can't keep on doing that forever. Um, I'll go back to my original point. Um, I'm not that enamoured by Sparks dividend as most investors. I know a lot of people love the dividend, but for me, you know, even though the yield is reasonable, it's just over five percent at the moment. Well, you say it's reasonable, but historically, it's not. In the maybe just in the in the current market environment, it is. Okay, let's move on to Fletcher Building. We all know Fletcher, they trade on the NZX under the ticker code FBU. Um, revenues of a tick under $4 billion. Um, they, they reported a net profit after tax of $82 million, which is around the same as last year. Dividend of $0.11 cents per share. They're also guiding to earnings of between somewhere between $515 and $565 million. Shows how significant the company is, really. But let's whack that out at $550 million and round the market cap down to $4.5 billion. That places us at around eight times earnings. Which of course sounds really cheap, but especially in the current market when we're talking about Spark, a 5% dividend yield. But being on eight times doesn't mean much if your earnings do not turn out to be durable, um, which is obviously the question with a company like Fletcher has, who let's say in the past has, has just been polite, has had its ups and downs. So from at least the outside looking in, the new CEO, you know, he, he he's not that new anymore, but he seems to have got the company pointing in the right direction. So the, the question with Fletcher will be, you know, been a cyclical company, been a construction company, and all, all those sorts of things is how durable will that five hundred and fifty million be? Um, you know, if you make five hundred and fifty million one year and lose money the next year, then you're not really on eight times earnings. If that makes sense, not that I'm predicting Fletcher's going to lose money next year, but the the point stays the same. Um, moving on to Auckland Airport, another big company. It seems we're just talking about big companies today. Auckland Airport, everyone's favourite airport. They trade on the NZX under AIA. Revenue is pretty much flat at three hundred seventy four million. Um, Auckland Airport, I think, does a, a pretty good job of making its financial statements understandable. Um, in the income statement, for example, they they break down all the areas where they get their revenue from, which is which is quite cool. They have five main income streams: airfield in- income, passenger services charge, retail income, rental income, and car park income. I always find it staggering how much revenue they make from car parks. It's thirty four point three million in the last six months to thirty first of December. Um, which is you know it's a, it's a lot of a lot of cars. <laughs> um, they they make one hundred and thirteen point six million in in retail income. Again, that's another staggering number. It's nearly twice the airfield income, which is I just find it fascinating. It shows that they're pretty much a property company as much as anything. Um, obviously, it's a very durable business with a long term competitive advantage. At least in my view, that they're, they're protected by the fact that it will be impossible due to barriers of entry to open a competing airport. What are you going to do if you want to open an airport, open one down the road from Auckland Airport? It's just not going to happen. Um, it's obviously a very asset-heavy company, um, especially in the real estate space, and that furthers its competitive advantage in my view. Um, a, a lot of you know people are looking for asset-light businesses these days, which is absolutely fine. You can understand why because of the cash flows that they produce. But sometimes having the heavy and durable assets, which Auckland Airport does, is a competitive advantage, and I think this is a case. Not all the time, but oftentimes the the heavy asset companies with lots of capex and stuff, you know, they're they're not the great businesses. But I think Auckland Airport is one of the few that has a you know has that durability. Most of the profits get ploughed back into the airport's capex, so it doesn't produce huge amounts of free cash flow relative to its market cap. Um, so I think one of the things you need to consider 
here is is the value of its assets. I I just see the the capex as a a permanent thing for Auckland Airport, and you see it every time you drive to the airport as well. It just seems like a never ending development. And people that say, oh, once they've done this, then they'll be able they'll the capex will reduce and everything like that. I don't really buy it. Um, you know, I, I I remember being in Auckland Airport not too long ago, and they had in one of the lounges like a history of the airport showing that, you know, back in the 1940s, 60s, 70s and all that. And you just show how much it's it's grown and developed in that time and that all takes CapEx. And you'd be, I think you'd be silly to think that that CapEx was suddenly going to stop, but that's just my view. Um, there's a bit of short-term clouds on the horizon with the impact of the coronavirus. The company said in the media blurb that they're still trying to un- understand the impact of the virus on the business. Um yeah, I mean, yeah, they say that because they don't know the long term, the I guess the medium term impact and how long it's going to go for. Um, but I, I don't know what they're trying to understand. I imagine they get the numbers through pretty regularly for what's happening in their business, and I imagine they know down to a T how it's impacted their business so far. What's going to happen in the future, we don't know, and how long it's going to go. But I imagine at the moment they they're pretty sure about what's happened. Um, you know, if a five-year-old can figure that out. Um, I mean, if, if part of your business is acting as a, a gateway to New Zealand for people coming from China and suddenly people from China have restrictions and entering New Zealand, there's going to be an impact. Um, they, they said that routes between Auckland and mainland China currently make up about just under 6% of total seat capacity. I, I think it could have a large impact than just 6% though um, because, you know, let's face it, it's probably affected the... Not just obviously the the direct impact is people leaving from China, but it's probably affected travel confidence in a way as well, like wider travel confidence. But you know, let's see. Obviously, it hasn't shown up in the current numbers that have been reported for the company because it was to the year end thirty first, not the half year thirty first of December two thousand and nineteen. So, and back then we didn't know what the coronavirus was. Um, obviously, you know, like I said, Auckland Airport's an incredibly durable business with a sustainable competitive advantage in my view so if you had a 20 view 20 year view on the airport and i think you probably can with auckland airport it's one of the few businesses that i could hand on heart honestly say i'll still think will be around in 20 years time then your, your opinion on the company shouldn't really change if you were happy to own auckland airport yesterday then or in, in december for example then you shouldn't if you ha- and you were doing it for the long term, I don't think this should really change that fact. And likewise, if you're if you're happily selling the airport in December, then you probably still should be doing that now. I don't think either way it should change your view, but obviously it's going to have an impact on the short term numbers. And who knows that might stretch into the medium term as well. And we also had half year results from EBOS revenue of four point four billion, up twenty five point two percent. Net profit after tax of eighty one point seven million, up twenty one point eight percent. You know, compared to Auckland Airport, they don't break it down as nicely in their income statement, but you know, still some strong growth numbers there. Earnings per share, which is the more important number than net profit after tax, decreased. I'm sorry, decreased, increased at a slower but still impressive pace of fourteen point eight percent. It's been one of the market darlings on the NZX EVOS over the last few years. So I, I don't get too pumped up about the valuation at 40-odd times earnings, but if they can keep these growth numbers solid, then it might look cheap in the future. Just before I, I round things off, the Daily Journal recently had their annual meeting. Um, so you may not be familiar with the Daily Journal, but it's a, a company that Charlie Munger is the chairman of. They're originally a legal publishing company. I think it was a sort of a, like a, a newspaper that basically all lawyers had to be 
subscribed to to know what was going on. Like, I'm not sure if it was the actual requirement, but they all subscribed to it. Um, and that's sort of as that business is dying, they're moving into a technology services business. And that, anyway, they trade on their NASDAQ under the ticker code DJCO. And, and like any Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger type company, they've also invested a lot of their profits over the years into common stocks. So I think they have quite big holdings in a couple of large American banks as well. Anyway, the point of me saying this is that the video of their annual general meeting is on YouTube and you should basically watch it. They, they wheel out Charlie Munger once a year and he sits there for a couple of hours and answers questions. It's a similar format to the Berkshire meeting, but not as big. That feels a bit more personable. And there's some memorable one-liners in there. One person asked him what his secret to longevity was and he seen that he was he's in his late 90s and he just responded, I don't know, it just happened. I don't really have any secrets on, on that, it just happened. Um, another one, another time he said that economic predictions were like pissing down your own leg. It feels really hot to you, but doesn't mean much to anyone else. He, he was also asked about Tesla, and he said that he would never buy it, but he would never short it, and he said about Elon Musk that you should never underestimate someone that overestimates himself. So anyway, you should find the video on, on YouTube, it's... It's some really good content every any time I think that you get the opportunity to listen and, and watch Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger speak, not Warren Buffett in this case, then you should absolutely do it. Um, so thanks again for listening to the podcast. As a reminder, that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice. If you're looking to find out more about the podcast, go to stockmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and, and give a like on uh, Facebook and Twitter and everything else. Share it with your friends also. Email me at jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin and this has been episode 73 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Saturday, the 22nd of February 2020. We'll see you all again next week.